from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Craig Sauer, Senior Editor for CUNA's Credit Union Magazine. Today's guest is Rachel Gazeman, Vice President of Operations at 73 Million Asset Tongass Federal Credit Union in Ketchikan, Alaska. In the past three years, Gazelman has implemented a long list of changes at Tongass. She boosted her credit union's marketing program, implemented analytics for frontline personnel, and boosted the credit union's technology offerings to improve the member experience. For her efforts, the 30-year-old Gazelman has been named the first recipient of CUNA's Emerging Leader Award. My CUNA colleague, Adam Mertz, spoke with Gazelman recently about her drive to move her credit union forward her love of financial education, and why she thinks other young professionals should get more involved in the movement. What does it mean for you to win the first CUNA Emerging Leader Award? It means the world. It's super cool. It highlights how passionate I am about this industry and about my career combined. You know, oftentimes it feels if you receive an award or are highlighted in something it's about one or the other and this award is both things combined my career and my career in the credit union movement something i'm passionate about you know looking at your resume for this emerging leader award you came up with the first marketing program and budget at tong s you uh, came up with a social media approach you helped develop a mobile app. You came up with metrics for frontline personnel. I'm, I'm wondering, what drives you to envision and implement such far-reaching change in your credit union? The desire to succeed. If you're not growing, you're dying, right? And so I let that terrify me, and I think, how can we make sure we're growing? And oftentimes I feel like I'm shooting from the hip, but... Um, it all it all comes from something, you know, reading, studying, uh, watching others, learning from others, and just the desire to make sure that Tongass succeeds and stays alive. Is that kind of a, a personality trait that came with you before that, or that is something that got brought up by your career path? Oh, no, that's definitely a personality trait. What's what, Maybe give me an example of... Uh, something earlier in, in your life that wasn't even credit unions where you just had that mentality or where did that mentality come from? I wish that I was thinking about that, knowing we were going to have this interview and, and thinking, well, where does that come from? I just kind of have this drive to want to do better, like challenge myself. I like to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in school, it was, you know, school, how can I do better? How can I get a better grade? Or... um uh, help somebody else come along. Maybe that was the challenge in helping a classmate. And then you get out of school and it's like, well, what now? And so that led into my career in trying to do better there and make things better. And I imagine, I mean, there's had to have been a receptiveness at Tongas to make some of these steps because you need inertia inside an organization and, and cooperation. But how much of this was you just identifying opportunities and, and bringing it to management and, and proposing solutions? A lot of it. I, I laugh at myself and I think, how would I have handled someone like me coming on now? <laughs> and uh, 
I think my my now CEO, who was the COO when I came on board, and I think of how well she heard me out. You know, I, my experience prior to Tongas in a small credit union was two huge credit unions. And so, you know, obviously in larger credit unions, you have uh, there's more money to do things than that you don't have in smaller credit unions, and mm-hmm. there's more just manpower. So it might not even be money, but it could just be the manpower. And I would say, well, we did it like this, and why can't we do that? And let's do this, and let's do that. And she'd say, okay, but now we need to do that on a shoestring budget. So she would bring those challenges back to me, and I'd be like, okay, I'll figure that out. I like a challenge. So, for example, training training was it was a big issue here at TFCU and before we had at both of the large credit unions we had huge training systems that it was no big deal and so I had to figure out how can we do this now on a shoestring budget and that led me to creating training in a box so that every one of our branches received the same training I would in them, it wasn't a physical box, but a mm-hmm. digital box of training quarterly to present to their teams so that everybody was receiving the same training and was just simply receiving training. So, yeah, I don't know, this, those fun things, it was this, this bat back and forth, and she was really receptive to my ideas, even though they were quite lofty, and then she would just challenge me, and instead of me taking that as a no or a shutdown, I would take it as a challenge. Okay, how can I make that happen with this new, you know, stepping stone in place or this new roadblock? How do I go around that roadblock? You know, and everyone obviously would love to operate with an unlimited budget and <laughs> and an unlimited staff and resources, but that's not reality. And in fact, I I would probably argue in some cases that having those constraints allows you to be more creative and maybe a little bit more effective and and intentional about what goal you're trying to pursue. Absolutely. What's you talked a little bit about that in terms of the training in a box, but uh, what advice would you give for people who are in that situation of, Hey, I see a need for a solution here. The resources don't necessarily present themselves immediately. How can I think about overcoming these obstacles? The number one piece of advice that I could give anybody, uh, especially uh, young professionals, is to not take things personally. Don't like I said when when Helen would come back at me with "Okay, now this," rather than saying or thinking or feeling I've been shut down, I would say, "Okay, that is just a detour. I need to take a detour. This isn't a a, a dead end. I just need to turn around." rethink it, absorb that feedback, whatever the feedback may be, and uh, come at it at a different angle. And I think that's very, very important when you're a YP or just really trying to overcome any kind of obstacle that you may come up to. You've got to just be positive, absorb all of that, and uh, enlist outside help or come at it at a different angle yourself. And how about winning support internally? Obviously, you can talk directly to Helen and have these conversations, but a lot of this success of initiatives like this depends on winning over hearts and minds of your colleagues, of your peers as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. And 
the best thing I can think there is, again, you can't take things personally. They need to be prepared. I think oftentimes it's easy to just throw out these ideas or mention the shortcomings, but you should always be prepared with a solution or the research that you've done. Uh, before I suggest anything, I've always done a lot of research to understand the issue and make sure that uh, the way that I am thinking makes sense. And it still might be a little bit opinionated. I mean, that's just natural. We're human. However, you could have a better understanding of where others are coming from, uh, especially when you are talking about implementing something that's uh, highly high technology, and you might have some folks who are a little bit more against technology, and maybe not even against it, just nervous about it. You should understand why they're nervous about it. They don't understand it, or maybe they've had a bad but they've had something go wrong when they've tried to mm-hmm. use it, and it's caused frustration. And so just having an understanding of where pe- where people might disagree with you uh, really helps that so that you can still continue to push your idea and your thought process. So being very open about your thought processes has been helpful for me. And, you know, even after you've gone through all of these steps of winning initial approval, winning over people, there's a big uh, leap, a gap between strategy and execution. And especially when you, you have the reality of you, you have a day job, <laughs> you have responsibilities that you need to get done. And I'm curious, your, your observations from a project management standpoint, from an implementation standpoint, what's been the keys to success in bringing these really good solutions actually to fruition? Documentation and transparency. So I recently just had a large meeting with uh, two two vendors so that we can implement an instant issue. I have no background in card services whatsoever, but as a small credit union, you know, we wear several hats. And so I was very transparent with them. Look, I don't understand what you're talking about when you say I need to get you some keys. A key to me is something that opens my house or starts my car. And uh, they were like, okay, not a problem. And so they explained it to me, and I've got these two vendors and a conference call who are talking back and forth, and I'm writing down notes, documentation. And then at the end of the meeting, I summarized, okay, these are my takeaways. Uh, Person X, you are going to be figuring this piece out for me, person Y, you're figuring this out for person X, and I need to figure out X, Y, and Z for both of you. And that's always been helpful. And also transparency to your team. My All the branch managers know that we want to implement instant issue cards, but it takes time. And so I keep them up to date on the project. I don't I don't over-talk it or anything like that, but I give them little tidbits of information, typically weekly in my operations report that I submit to, or I don't really submit, but I uh, email it out to all the branch managers, mm-hmm. loan manager. Uh, I, communication is huge. So that way they know that it's coming and it's not like, oh, it was this grand lofty idea and got us all pumped about it and now it's not happening. Diving in a little bit into the marketing plan that you originated. I think first step in a lot of that is to, is to give people an understanding of what your credit union is, who you serve, what's your mission. 
Could you explain a little bit about uh, Tongass's mission and, and your uh, field membership? Sure, absolutely. So currently, TSU serves um, various remote islands in southeast, southern southeast Alaska. So these islands are only accessible by air or water. Um, we don't have a news broadcasting team. We don't have some of the most up-to-date technologies. Uh, we are we're Alaska, and we're probably the closest thing of what people think of when they think of Alaska, with the exception of lots of snow and polar bears. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have the challenges of just being able to reach our folks, and we also... People move to where we live oftentimes with the intention of living off the grid. Mm, and mm-hmm. so we have to figure out how we can serve those members also without saying, well, we have a mobile app. Actually, honestly, there's a lot of service, cell phone and uh, Internet service. We're pretty lucky we have it far-reaching out here. There are definitely sites that don't have it. Um, but I guess that's that's who our members are. They're fishermen, they're loggers. Um, some of them, like me, are in an office. And, and But for the most part, we're, we're all Alaskans who have our extra tufts and we know how to, we enjoy fishing, we know how to fish, hunt, you know, those kinds of things. What then, what maybe central messages um, and also mechanisms did you think about when you were trying to design this plan? thing that I came back to always was being approachable. So I think of, of you know, your, your fishermen. They don't want to walk into a stuffy branch. And so even all of our, our marketing, our pictures and things like that, they're, they're approachable. They're not um, white house, or not white houses, but they're not houses with white picket fences. Mm-hmm. They're southeast houses. We we really we won't put a picture of a house that you would see what we call down south. We don't. We immediately think, ooh, that doesn't fit here. We put no. There's nothing wrong with our our homes either, but we and with luscious green lawns. We have muskeg, and so when uh, we are looking at marketing things, we always want to be approachable, and we want to maintain our southern southeast image. It's very important to us. You won't see um, tall mountains. You won't hear us using lofty words in our in our radio ads. We're kind of goofy in our radio ads, a little bit dorky. Um, <laughs> But it's really, a, you know, we try and keep that flavor in mind of, you know, this is who we are and that's okay. What, uh, what's been the uh, after effects of having this marketing plan in place? What have you noticed in terms of um, improvements and, and uh, ramifications from it? I've Internally, all, our team, all of the TSU team seems more bought in. There's this understanding like, oh, okay, yes, cars, that's our special this month. Uh, so there's that. It's brought a level, a different level of communication uh, throughout TFCU. Uh, externally, we've certainly noticed an uptick in our lending and our member growth, specifically here in Ketchikan, which has been great. Uh, we've been 
stagnant, and this year we've seen growth across the board, and it's very exciting. The one piece of the marketing that I haven't done successfully quite yet is tracking and analytics, mm-hmm. and that is a big goal for 2018. So we can use have some real numbers to associate with it. I mean, as real as they can be. The other thing that strikes me about marketing that people maybe don't think about at just superficial level is that it really has to involve all aspects of your credit union. There has to be a, a two-way street in terms of communication and interaction. I don't know if you can provide some examples of where you maybe modified uh, the marketing plan to fit uh, the needs of a department or or vice versa? I don't know that I have modified our marketing plan, but I've definitely learned that communication is so important. Uh, you know, we've I went to I visited one of our branches recently and they had the marketing plan printed in their back room and I thought, why haven't I thought about suggesting this to all of our branches? You know, it's something so simple and and I've I've had the, the complaint I don't complaint's probably too strong of a word, but the it would be nice to know what's coming up next and I think, well I shared the marketing plan, but I need to do more than that. I need to I need to market internally. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is what's coming up next month, and then and then let it come up next month and still talk about it. Like just one time isn't enough. And I have we're having our managers meeting this week, where all of our branch managers come to Ketchikan, and we all sit in a room together for a day and a half and have excellent training and conversation. And I'll be presenting uh, some marketing training at that time. So that in 2018, I hope that they feel more in the loop than they have previously about marketing. You know, it strikes me that due to just the disconnection in geography, that uh, both internally and externally, communication, you know, marketing is very key to to what you do and how effective you can be as an organization. Yes, absolutely. It's it's very important. It the geographical issues are are always there and so there's never too much communication how about in terms of digital in that respect to an ease of use you mentioned that a lot of your field membership is on the move a lot and maybe doesn't not only doesn't want to uh, you know make a visit to branch but it's not easy to do is that a big force behind you pushing for more digital yes absolutely that is a huge reason that we are pushing for more digital and why uh, we find it very important is so that our members can have a mobile branch anywhere they're at and so that they don't have to drive. For example, POW is one of the top 10 largest islands in the U.S., and so the drives are astronomical for our folks. Uh, and then obviously we have folks who just can't drive because they're on another island. And so ensuring that they are able to access their financial needs and complete transactions digitally is a, a, big, a big thing for us, and we're working on that, especially in 2018. We've got some big goals set aside for that. You, know, you mentioned that financial literacy is sort of your real passion and, and the, the drive behind a lot of what you do from a credit union perspective. What is it about financial literacy that motivates you so much? What drives me about financial literacy is 
my own background. Uh, I learned so much from my mom in particular, and she would probably kill me if she was still here to hear this, but I remember we were sitting in line at, at Key Bank when I was a kid, and she's like, oh, it's going to close, it's going to close, and we were in the drive through and she was depositing her check, and I said, or I said, Mom, why are you so stressed about this? And she said, well, because we just went to this store, and I wrote a check, and it takes them two or three days, but two or three days ago, I did this, and they're going to be cashing it, and so she was trying to get into KeyBank to fill her account so that all of her checks would be fine because she had just gotten paid, mm-hmm. and obviously, we know that's not okay, Right. But reality is, it happens. And I like to operate under reality. And I I think that learning to properly handle your finances, whether that means utilizing your credit union's courtesy pay program or looking at the services you might receive, that's okay. That's okay. There's no, there's no judgment. Let's get you in here and let's totally sit down and look at your your finances and let's get you trained on how you can handle them, including whatever you have going. And so you know where the deficiencies are and you know where maybe you need to not buy that new phone or let's be realistic that your kids are going to need new shoes this year for, for school and um, just being real about it. I think it's really easy to be lofty and say, oh, you should never have debt and you should not use a credit card or only have it for emergency services. But I really like my favorite part about financial literacy is being able to sit down with folks and say, look, first of all, there's absolutely no judgment. Let's talk about everything. Sure. You're regularly going to see a payday lender. Let's talk about that and let's get you out of that. Let's let you use your credit union's courtesy pay program. And let's help you decide what might be a want versus a need, you know. Let's have some of those difficult conversations. And uh, I always think of, of financing or finances and, and budgeting like a diet. I think that a lot of us have that basic understanding, yes, I need to eat more fruits and vegetables, or yeah, sure, I shouldn't buy the newest shoes or the newest phone, um, but we have to, we, sometimes we just have to sit down and face the music a little bit. Yeah, I mean, your point is well taken in that not only do you have to offer the tools that people can use, but really a lot of the time it takes a personal touch, whether that be through communication um, you know, directly or indirectly with the person. You have to be able to extend yourself a little bit and and offer to work with them rather than just uh, giving them the tools and, and letting them decide on their own what's best. Yes, yes, and giving them, and, and instead of giving them this is how it should be done, mm-hmm. really taking into consideration what's realistic for the person sitting in front of you because it's not the same for everybody. Having a written budget is probably unrealistic for most of America. Who's really going to sit down and do that? And I try and take that into consideration. Would I like them to sit down and have their written budget? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is that realistic? Probably not. You came up with, in in this regard, Savings Buck, a uh, kind of a fun mascot for uh, that, that right now focuses a lot on 
uh, financial education. Could you tell me a little bit about what Savings Buck is and uh, how you decided to come up with that? Savings Buck is our school savings mascot. He's really dorky. <laughs> uh, I think he's like an $80 Amazon purchase. <laughs> <laughs> when you put the costume on, you cannot see at all. You have to have a guide. Uh, but really, it just started off with every year we offer a loan. TFCU has offered well before my time a, lo- a loan called Holiday Bucks. And in the ads that they used, there was they had always used some form of a buck, and there would usually be like holiday lights around him or dress him up in a holiday fashion. And uh, we, I wanted us to have kind of a mascot for the kids, and I thought, well, savings buck, you know, that sounds fun. And I guess he was just kind of born out of that. And Helen, my CEO, was totally on board. Okay, sure, why not? And uh, we happened to find the costume, and we ordered one, and it really took off from there, and we've created the characters from that, and it's, it's Savings Buck and his forest friends, so we have Savings Doe also, and then we've got Barry the Bear, Rosie the Raven, and Scarlet the Squirrel, and they're all just uh, characters for the school savings program, which we hope to continue to develop to develop over time and they're they're fun relatable characters for the kids and we incorporate we're working to to incorporate savings buck into regular tfcu marketing as well like i will take uh, just the head of the costume and kind of put buck in funny places like in the float plane and on the ferry and just fun things like that yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm sure that's gotten a good reaction from uh, kids too. Nothing beats animals, right, for interactions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you try to impress on school age children in terms of financial education? What programming do you uh, do you bring along with Savings Buck? We use the four uh, pillars, the four foundation foundational pillars of what we see as finances. So saving, earning, saving, spending, and giving. Uh, so it's a big deal for us to teach uh, students that you have to earn money. I think in today's world with technology and all of these things that are constantly in front of us and social media putting pressures on us that haven't been there like they were in the past, like when I was a, a student, uh, we really try to impress upon them that there's a big part of finances and that's earning. And how how do you have that money coming in? So we talk about chores and things like that. And then, of course, savings is also huge. How how you save and learning to put off the instant gratification to save. And uh, our past our previous branch manager, who's now been promoted to our loan manager, he created a skit about how to save and walking away from those instant gratification purchases. There's actually two, you know, it's about a boy and a girl who are best friends and they go shopping and um, the boy just buys everything he sees and the girl is able to say, oh, I'll buy a little bit of this, but I really want to save for my bike. And at the end of the skit, of course, she's able to save enough money to purchase her bike. And uh, so we hit upon those two 
the the biggest, the earning and the saving, uh, or I guess it's all three, the earning, the saving, and the spending. Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. also bring in the concept of giving and um, maybe you buy lunch for one of your friends or you donate to the animal shelter or to your church or, you know, we talk about that too. But And that's very credit union uh, um, specific. I mean, that's a great, great mentality to try to get across because that's what people helping people is all about. Absolutely. It's not every day that we have someone on the CUNA News podcast who has worked at a credit union in Guam. So I wanted to get your insights on, first of all, how you got there, if you can bring our listeners the story about how you landed in Guam and, and uh, shed a little bit of light on what the worldwide credit union industry looks like. Sure. So in 2009, my husband was in the Air Force and we got stationed in Guam. And I worked as a substitute teacher while I finished my college degree. And then when I graduated, I was ready to have a job where I didn't have to play with school in between. And I was hired at Coast 360. Shout out to my Coast 360 folks. Uh, and I learned what credit unions were all are all about. And I was indoctrinated into credit unions and how it's all about people helping people. And I couldn't think of a better place for that to happen than on Guam because Guam has such the Islander spirit and always about just family and being helpful to one another, being kind. And then, of course, I met the credit union and it's all the same, same concepts, people helping people. And it was a, a very cool experience. Uh, there were regularly lines out the door every day. Wow. And, yeah, it was it was fun. I will never, ever forget those times. And, and my fellow teammates there at Coast 360 and how we just came together and we were there for one another and powering through those days, yeah, it was awesome. You know, nothing against uh, Alaska's weather, but you probably do miss Guam from time to time in that respect. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially now that I live in a rainforest. Right. Uh, where it rains roughly 13 feet, of year, uh, 13 feet of rain a year. I absolutely miss that sunshine and those beaches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw that you had recently graduated from Western CUNA Management School and this really well-regarded program. Uh, wondering if you had to... If you had to narrow it down, what are the one or two takeaways that really stick with you out of that educational experience? So the number one takeaway that I think is relatable to any credit union professional or those who wish to have a career in the credit union world is that the numbers are very important. And I've I've felt that theme all the way through. It's consistent. Uh, when I crashed the Marketing and Business Development Council, the folks there, you know, always talking about the numbers in Western CUNA Management School certainly taught us that and how to, even if numbers aren't your thing, how to understand them and follow them for your credit union. And the second takeaway is more of a personal takeaway, and that is I gained an amazing network of credit union friends who I still talk to and I we, I saw some when I was down in Spokane, Washington for the Northwest Credit Union Association Conference, and I said, you know, really, we're, we're now lifelong friends, and it's so true. Mm. You know, I'll reach out to them for 
some mundane credit union question, and then I'll ask how their family's doing and ask the more personal questions, and that's been a very great personal takeaway from Western CUNY Management School for me. You know, networking seems to be kind of a big part of your life all around. I saw how involved you are with local organizations too, Chamber of Commerce, Rotary Club, Toastmasters. What draws you to that kind of interaction with people? I think it, it keeps me humble. My favorite thing that I mentioned about uh, financial literacy is just being real. And I don't know how you can be real if you're living constantly living in your own bubble and not interacting with people all around you. And so that's my big draw to staying uh, in connection with my community, to know what's going, out in my, going on in my community, uh, what my community's concerns are, what our successes are. Uh, all of those, those kinds of things are what draw me to various organizations. Did I see also that you might have attended the Young Professional Advocacy Training in uh, D.C.? I did. That was so awesome. I was terrified of advocacy. (laughs) (laughs) And when I went to that training, I learned, you know what? You advocate for the credit union world all the time because I'm constantly telling people, oh, you should join a credit union uh, and why they should join a credit union. And I learned that that in and of itself is advocacy. It doesn't have to be a big, scary support this or don't support that. Um, Yeah, it was, that training was so awesome. And the chance to be around other young professionals, I'm sure is very inspiring to meeting people on maybe have some of the same life experiences and, and same point in your careers we're able to sort of discuss and network with each other. Yes, that's always a big thing in it. And it's helpful, you know, you come, like you said, you have, you have a day job and you come and you get in the minutia of your, of your day job. And then when you're able to attend something like that where you have other like-minded individuals who also have their, their day job and you can talk and collaborate, it really, it helps to inspire you and get you motivated again and, and gives you that breath of fresh air that you might be needing. And big picture, there's been such an emphasis lately on really grooming the next generation of leaders in the credit union movement. If you just look at demographics of people in leadership roles right now, in the next, you know, 10 years, baby boomers will be aging out of, of primarily out of their working years. Do you, do you sense that energy and that enthusiasm among young professionals? And what would you say to someone who's maybe mulling, uh, you know, getting more involved, but hasn't gotten over that hump yet? I, I do see that. And the advice I have is, is test it out. Dip your toes in the water. If you're, if, especially if you're already in this industry, it's safe to do it. I mean, if you're if you're an MSR, you can work with your manager. You can work with a senior MSR. You could work with somebody outside of your credit union, maybe at another credit union, and just one step at a time. Hey, I have this idea, or I would like to take on more of a leadership role. How can I? How can I do that? What can I help you with? Um, I think any of those things will allow somebody to decide if that's something that they want or don't want, because there's definitely folks who don't want to have a leadership role, and that's absolutely okay, and you could still be really great at what you do and maybe not be a leader or have the responsibility of management on your shoulders. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. 
subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.